glad you're here. Welcome to worship. And that word is not only for those of us in this space, but for those who will be uh, watching the video that Bob uh, records and edits and then offers for playback later in the day. So thank you, Bob, for helping us be both in person and online at the same time. This is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, and I think this is a good time to talk about kind of what Jesus is up to, that he has just fed crowds, but he was just trying to get away because he was grieving. He was mourning. He needed to rest. Well, out of great compassion, he feeds multitudes. And in today's gospel reading, you will hear some references to things about, and when he went away or when he did this. Just so you know, he finally gets a chance to go and pray. So he goes up to the mountain, a very Moses-y thing to do, by the way, and he prays. We're going to be taking up what happens, though, after that, when he comes down from the mountain. So for those of you who are all loaded for that story of Simon Peter's ill-fated walk on the waves, this is your Sunday. However, Pastor Spoiled Sport is kind of going to give him a day off because you've already heard all the best sermons about well, his faith was incomplete, or his faith was good, or his faith was bad, or um, <clears throat> I, I don't have one of those today. But I do think we can look at a pattern. So I'm going to give you the St. Matthew's Lutheran Church challenge this morning. And you can carry this for the week. I want you to see if you can think of any figure in the Bible that approached God first before God approached them. That challenge, actually, is going to give us a good launch into the sermon a bit later. So this is not the sermon, if you think that's what was going on just now. But um, that's later. And just before we uh, adjourn today, we'll talk a little bit about the evening service just to let you know schedule and all of that. So... Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds, those he had just fed. And when Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by waves, was far from the land, and the wind was against them. Early in the morning, Jesus came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately... Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Command 
It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of our Lord. Won't you be seated? Grace and peace to you from a creating God who brings harmony and beauty from chaos. Jesus, the risen Christ, and the Spirit who brings us together that we might be living witnesses to God's love. Maybe there have been times that felt stormy, when you really wondered what is going to happen next, and the question we inevitably ask is the why question. Why is this happening? Now, nothing wrong with asking that kind of a question. Sometimes explanations help a bit, at least so we have something to hang on to. But sometimes, there is no why. Or maybe the why only gets us so far. During my training as a hospital chaplain, we were taught to ask a different question and to invite people to ask the same question, which is, where might you experience God just now in this mess, in this storm? So, besides the organ getting the day off, Simon Peter's going to get the day off from his faith, big, little, large, small, orange, blue, I don't know, to be honest. Because there is something else going on here. And here's the grand reveal that Jesus, as he interacts with the disciples and as he walks on water, demonstrates something about how God enters into our lives when our lives are a hot mess, when things are chaotic. Think about those first hearers of Matthew's gospel living in a small, marginalized community, estranged from the larger faith community, living under the empire which dictated its own rules. Then there's us. If I were to take the BART challenge, I guess it would be, can you think of anybody who has not been affected by the global pandemic? Maybe you've had COVID once, twice, or more. Maybe you've grieved the death of someone who died from COVID. Maybe you're still recovering, as many of us are, from 
just the weirdness, the isolation, the I thought I knew what my job was, but I really don't know what it is anymore. So where is God in that? Where is God even now as we hear about the hottest July on record, as we hear daily now about these disasters that just seem like they've never happened before? Some of us even get grumpy about politics, if you can believe that. Okay. Where is God in that? Matthew, besides being a clever storyteller, is clever with intent. The little details that he sprinkles into this story are meant to cause us to associate other things that God has been up to and has done in our history together. Ways that God has demonstrated faithfulness. We start with Jesus going to the mountain to pray, which I mentioned was kind of a Moses-y thing to do. But it's coming down from the mountain where Moses and now Jesus find that that's where the storm is, that's where the mess is. Sounds a bit like a transfiguration speech, doesn't it? Yeah, they came down and maybe they would have been happier on the mountain. <laughs> but Jesus willingly goes into the storm because he knows his disciples are there and he comes looking for them. That's a godlike thing to do. And that's why I threw out that little challenge at the beginning. I would be really interested to know if, as you scour scripture and think about personages in the Bible, if you can find somebody who came to God first. I'm not sure you'll find one. I haven't, but maybe you will. So God comes looking, just as Jesus seeks out the disciples. He walks on the water, which is really a nod to the creation story again, where God enters into the tempestuous chaos of nothingness and calls out of it harmony and beauty and life. Jesus approaches the boat and the disciples, and this happens to Jesus, I don't know if he had one of those faces or what, but he often gets mistaken for somebody else. The gardener, for example, or in this case, a ghost. Now, we modern people might laugh at the notion of a ghost. But if you're a mariner, if you fish for a living, and you see what the water does, you might well think that there are spirits that mean you harm when you're in the middle of a squall. I think it's to be forgiven. But Jesus says something in that moment. It is I. Take heart. Now here's where you need a bit of a word nerd to help you out. And... Here's where we look at, oh, you're starting to fall asleep already because I'm going to throw Greek words at you. Just one, just one. I am. It's the same set of words that God says when Moses is on the run 
tending sheep. He's out in the desert and he's confronted by a bush that bursts into flame. And a voice comes and I think many of us, when that happens, we'd like to know who's calling. And the word is I am. My rabbi friends tell me that that phrase in Hebrew, as well as the name for God, the I am name, sounds a whole lot like human breath itself. If you're interested in a side trip, wander through John's gospel and see how many times Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the gate, the door, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, and the life. Well, here Jesus says, it is I take heart. Another one of those very God-like things that Jesus does in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of chaos, Jesus speaks that word. And now for the glaring omission part of our program. <laughs> I'm going to skip over a bit because you've heard this all before. And you'll hear it again, probably from me, but not today. There's poor Simon Peter, soggy and sinking. Jesus immediately reaches out a hand. Again, Matthew is cagey in his word choice. Stretch forth your hand in the way that God stretched it forth at creation, in the ways that Moses stretched his hands when the Red Sea divided, in the way that God stretched out a hand when people were fed in the desert, in the way when the prophets would extend a hand and heal a child. Yes, Jesus extends that hand and lifts up Simon Peter out of the waves into the safety again of the boat. Some of us struggle with parables. Others of us struggle with miracles. Oh, that can't happen. I've never seen that, so it must not happen. Sorry. But I struggle. So, truth be told, I spent the week, well, how do I make sense of something miraculous when we live every day in what is turning to be a hot and getting hotter mess? I found myself going back to that pattern of Jesus. And thinking about, well, this must be how God operates. God notices. God sees. God knows. God loves. And comes looking for us. Speaks that word, I am. <laughs> Take a breath, people. <laughs> God is here. Breathes hope into us. And stretches out a hand. For those of us who do struggle with skepticism... That pattern, I hope, is enough. I hope we can find some comfort in that. 
But I am going to take the last page out of Matthew's gospel and lift it up because I think this is the one that will carry us through the week. Matthew quoting Jesus after the chaos of being executed by the Romans, rising from the dead, and now ascending, Jesus says to his people, some of them who were in the boat that night, and remember, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of time. Amen. Thank you.